0: Today's reading is from the book of Psalms, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, So last week, we began our new series in Habits of Grace. And so for those of you who are in Jesus, here's the truth, is that God has lavished his grace on us. He's poured out his grace abundantly, and that is what we live from. We live from new identities. We live from his grace and his mercy. But that doesn't make us passive. The grace of God that has been lavished upon us, the spirit of God that now dwells in us, causes us to be proactive in our faith, as Philippians 2 says, we work out our salvation because God is at work within us. And so we start from grace, but we are proactive in our walk with the Lord to be strengthened in our faith and strengthened in that grace. And the Spirit of God uses habits. He uses means. He uses practices that grow and shape us. And so if you remember the illustration from last week of a sail or sailing, so we are to lift the sails. The Spirit of God is like the wind. It blows. And like a sailor is utterly dependent upon the wind to be able to move, we are utterly dependent upon the spirits; We cannot grow on our own. But Just like the wind doesn't move a sailor who doesn't raise the sails and is just sort of sitting on his hands, the wind doesn't just sort of magically make that boat move, the spirit doesn't just have this sort of magical, mystical thing that happens to us when we're just sitting on our hands. No, the spirit calls us, calls us to certain practices by which he says, hey, I move through these things. I've promised my power and my presence in these things. And so we lift the sails, we engage these practices so the Spirit may move us and change us and transform us. What this means is our faith is not disembodied. It's not lived at the level of just abstract ideas or some hyper-spiritual, mystical experience that disconnects us from everyday life. No, we live in embodied faith. We live this out in our habits and practices of ordinary, normal life. Look, our life in Christ is supernatural. Make no mistake about that. As we saw last week, we have been brought into relationship, into communion. We've been united to Christ through the Spirit. We are now connected to the triune God. There's something supernatural that has happened to us. We've been brought to life when we were spiritually dead. It's absolutely supernatural. But that supernatural power is worked out, lived out in the very ordinary, mundane, physical reality that you and I exist in, day in and day out. We we experience grace just in the ordinary and mundane. And that's good news to us. That that means that when you get out of bed and you just walk to the bathroom, there is grace. Grace. When you get in your car and you're driving, there's grace. When you're at work and whether you're, you're having a killer day or whether you're having a terrible day, there's grace. When you come home, there's grace. When you're sitting at the dinner table, there's grace. When you're washing dishes, there's grace. This is where the power of God is worked out in us. And, and look... As we think about these habits that we want to give ourselves to, if you and I saw saw a person in a sailboat with the sails just kind of all furled up at their feet and the wind was blowing and they were sitting there frustrated because they weren't moving, what would we tell them? Hey, bro, raise the sails. And the same is true for us. So often we find ourselves frustrated in our walk with God frustrated in our faith. And all the while, the spirit is moving. His power is available to us. His grace has been poured out on us. And he's saying, look, lift the sails. Walk in these habits. That's why we want to spend time reflecting on these habits of grace, because there is much power in them. There's much promise in them. And here's another aspect of this for us to consider this morning. When it comes to the habits of grace, We also must recognize the dynamic of formation, that from the moment of our birth, every day of our lives, you and I are being formed in a particular way. We're being formed physically and mentally and spiritually. Our habits, the things we give ourselves to day in and day out, are shaping us into the people we have been, the people we are today, and the people we will be. So the question isn't, am I being formed? The question is, how am I being formed? And what is forming me? And a significant part of that formation for all of us comes to us through words and language. Words in our homes or words in our workplaces or words in our schools, words in texts and emails and on social media, words in movies and music and magazines and books and ads and billboards. We swim in a sea of words to quote Hamlet, words, words, words. And they are powerful tools of formation. We've been hardwired for language, and so they affect us. Words connect us to ideas and to stories and to beliefs and to truths, and these things form our identities. They form our belief system. They form our sense of right and wrong, good and evil. They form our sense of meaning and purpose. And words you and I encounter, we must never forget, they're not neutral. They are not without effect. They are forming us. They are shaping us. And so we all have to ask, whether you're a Christian or not, what words are shaping you? What what words, what sources, what ideas, what what beliefs, what truths are shaping your identity? What's shaping your belief system? What's shaping your sense of good and evil and right and wrong? What's shaping how you understand meaning and purpose and happiness and fulfillment? And is that formation leading you to something good? Is that formation leading you to goodness and truth and beauty and grace and joy? Is it leading you to Jesus himself or is it corrupting your soul? Is it doing damage to you? Is it leading you to sin and to pride and to selfishness and even despair? Well, Psalm 1 sets up a wonderful contrast for us. A contrast before, between the formation around sinful and prideful and selfish and cynical words and life-giving words from God. And so this morning, yeah, I want to talk some practicals about what it means to engage this habit. But before we get there, we need to recognize what's at stake. We need to understand what, why we do this. Why should we even give ourselves to this habit and see that the stakes are very big? And so this is a worthwhile habit for us. So let's turn to Psalm 1 and reflect on what God's word has to say for us about formation and his word. So the the psalmist highlights life-giving formation really by highlighting what it is not in verse one. He writes, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So we have three different little categories here, but they're all sort of saying the same thing. So, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. To walk in counsel is to walk in advice or the wisdom of others. And how is that wisdom often given? Through words. You seek counsel, you seek wisdom from other people. And so, blessed is the one who isn't listening to words that are shaping them into a particular way wickedness and sin. Blessed is the one who isn't listening to words that are forming them in ways that rebel against God, that go against what God has said, that are turning them away from faith in Jesus. And also, blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. So to sit in a seat is an expression meaning to take the place of, to to assume a role or position of someone, to act as they do, to carry out the same actions And manner of life. And in Scripture, a scoffer is one who disregards God's wisdom, disregards God's standards of godliness and goodness, one who will disregard God's truth and God's message. And so blessed is one who is not being shaped by the words of a scoffer, being shaped by someone who is steering you away from what what God has said, from his truth and his goodness. Blessed are those who do not allow themselves to be formed by these words, that their life and the way that they walk are not shaped by these words. And look, wickedness and sin and scoffing, these are really strong terms. They pack a powerful punch. So it might be very easy for us to go, hey, I'm not a wicked person. I'm not wrecking my life. I'm not living, I'm not breaking the law. I'm not living a life of rampant immorality. I'm not harming other people. And so it can be very easy for us to sort of deflect and say, this is just talking about sort of extreme sin. But the punch of this passage should land on all of us. Because here's the truth. If you are not being shaped by God, by the Lord, you're being shaped by something else. And that something else is trying to take you away from the Lord. And if it is moving away from the Lord, it has assumed his position of authority, assumed his position of prominence. And anything that does that is sin. Anything that does that is wicked because it is pulling you away from what is true and what is good and what is right and what is beautiful. And so for all of us, we need to ask ourselves this question. We need to reflect on the ways that we are being pulled away From the Lord. We are allowing words that are spoken, words that we encounter, words that we listen to, to shape us in ways that are not conforming us to God. And so the question what is forming you? What is shaping you? We are bombarded every single day with words and ideas and messages and stories meant to shape our beliefs and our actions and our attitudes and our demeanor, and how we spend our time and how we spend our money and how we live in a marriage or how we parents or how we engage friends or how we engage sexual relations. It doesn't matter. It's like across the board we hear words and messages that are trying to shape us. What is shaping you? And is it pulling you away from God? Is it pulling you away from truth and goodness and beauty Far too often, the words and the messages that are prominent in our culture are just those types of words. And so we get bombarded with words that say messages like this, self-sufficiency and self-fulfillment and self-actualization. That's the highest good. You determine your identity. You control your life and destiny. You fulfill your wants and your needs and your desires, and you should have the freedom to do so with no restrictions without anyone imposing any sort of morality on you. This is the highest good. This should actually be your right. It should be against the law for anybody to tell you what to do. Or we're bombarded with words that say this, your race, your gender, your sexuality, your social class or whatever group you belong to, that defines you, that's your priority. And anyone who is not like you is a threat and should be not trusted at best or opposed or shamed or even hated, or we hear messages and words that say, hey, you need to look good. You need to present this well-curated image of yourself, whether that's on social media or whether that's in front of people, face-to-face actions. If you want people to accept you, if you want people to like you, if you want people to follow you, then you got to put your best foot forward. Now, don't try too hard. Don't make it look like you're trying too hard. The secret is to try hard without looking like you're trying hard, But you need to look good. Or we hear words that say this. In our world of fake news, you have to be skeptical, even cynical about what is true. How can you even know what is true? You have to determine what is true. And if you can't even trust the news, then how could you trust an ancient, outdated book? Words, words, words. Are words like these and others forming you? Or maybe another question should be, how are they forming you? Because we can't escape these, and we all are guilty of allowing words like these to shape us in some way. Well, then the question becomes then, what kind of person are they making you? Are you, because of these words, are you becoming more joy-filled, more grace-filled, more love-filled, more faith-filled, more righteous, more honest, more good, more sacrificial, more emotionally and spiritually healthy? Look, even for those of us who follow Jesus, and we would say, Hey, I don't wholeheartedly agree with these words. And in fact, many ways, I would oppose some of these messages. Look, we still are being shaped by these. We still can be affected by these. We still take in a steady diet of words like these. And we have to ask ourselves are they bringing life to us? Are they shaping our faith? Are they bringing depth? and beauty, and righteousness, and goodness, and grace, and mercy, and peace, and joy to our lives, if we're honest, and let's just be honest this morning because we can be, there's freedom here to be honest, the answer is no. The answer is that such words do not result in formation that brings depth, and beauty, and righteousness, and goodness, and grace, and mercy, and peace, and joy in life, Rather, as Psalm 1-4 will go on to say, the wicked are like chaff, they're like dead leaves that are blown away. In such words, they form us into hollow and empty people, defined by an endless and vicious cycle of self-pursuits and of disappointments and performance and frustration and tiredness and fear and anxiety and conflict. And Christians, too often, we settle for these things. We live for these things. We allow these things to define our lives. And what's more, we may say, hey, my life's not a train wreck. We'll make excuses and we'll say, I'm not in complete and utter despair. And so I sort of settle with this less than ideal thing. And so we end up settling for little victory and little power and little service and little joy in Jesus. All because we are allowing these types of words, these types of messages, these types of beliefs, to be the thing that shapes us. And we don't put up any resistance. We just go with the flow and let it happen. And it is no wonder. And I say this with all love and all patience and all concern as a pastor, but it is no wonder that some of you struggle so much to wonder if God loves you or if God's grace and his power at work in your life Or if Jesus is as glorious and as good as he says. Because you're allowing a different word to shape your mind and your heart. Friends, God has something so much better for us. So much more glorious for us. And so in contrast to the negative formation, the psalmist points to the path of formation that brings blessing in verse 2. He says this, That his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of God, whose mind and heart are shaped by the words of the Lord. And this this is the hope for us, is that God's word speaks a greater word than any other word. His word is truer than any other word. His word tells a greater story than any other story. His word holds out greater depth and greater beauty and greater righteousness and greater goodness and greater grace and mercy and peace and joy than any other word. And that we would see this. Oh, church, that we would grab hold of the truths and the words that are in scripture. Because here is the power of God's word. As Eric quoted this morning from Hebrews, that God's word is living and powerful. It, it can cut through your heart and your motivations. It, it can dig and diagnose what's going on inside you better than any psychiatrist ever could. But then when it does that, here's what it does. It holds out salvation and forgiveness and redemption to the deepest and darkest sins that you've ever committed. And it holds out hope for any hurt and pain that you have experienced in life. This word brings faith to the despairing. It brings joy to those who are doubting. It brings hope to those who are hurting. It brings wonder to those who are shallow. It brings renewal and sanctification to those who have sinful and stubborn hearts. It makes foolish people wise. This is what God's word does. This is the power of his word. And here's what God's word will direct us towards. It's gonna shape us in humility because it's gonna tell us that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, that we have all committed rebellion against God, that there is none righteous, there is none good, that we are utterly and completely guilty and deserve judgment. But then here's what it also tells us, that God, rich in mercy, while we were still sinners, not when we cleaned ourselves up, not when we got our act together, when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That when we were dead in our rebellion, dead in our sin, when we hated God, God, in his rich mercy, made us alive in Christ. He resurrected our dead, sinful souls and brought life to us, new life. That's what this word tells you. That's what this word shapes you in. And then this word says this, in Christ, that's your identity, not not your race, not your gender, not your sexuality, not your education level, not how good and talented you are, not your ability to perform, not how great you are in your job, not how good of a parent you are, or how good of a spouse you are, or how terrible you are at those things. It's not your socioeconomic class. It's not your political party. It's in Christ, an identity given to you by grace, given to you in love, an identity you don't have to earn, but you can rest in. An identity that you don't have to perform for, but you live from with all the blessing and love that God has poured out on you. That's the identity that this word tells you. And then here's what this word also shapes us in. Self-sacrificial service, because it says the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. And then it holds out Christ, the one who laid down his life, the one who served us all so that we can be saved and forgiven and renewed and restored. And then he says, be like me. I have poured out my spirits on you and empowered you to walk in the same way so that we now give our lives, not for self, not, not so that we can earn a bunch of money and have a bunch of things, not so that we can be impressive, but so we can give our lives away, so that we can see others thrive, thrive and flourish. And then we've been commissioned to go and tell other people about Jesus and to give our lives away that they might find their joy in Christ. And there's nothing greater than to give your life away, to see someone find their joy in Jesus. That's how this word shapes us. That's the power of this word to transform us. And here's the best bit. When we come to this word, what we get is God himself. We get Christ. We get to know God. We get to commune with God. We get to be in relationship with God. We get to understand him and he reveals himself in his love and his power and his glory. We get to experience the incredible victory of Christ. We get to see his glory and his power at work. It's no wonder that scripture says that Christ is the word that became flesh. But because in this word, we get Jesus. In this word, we are appointed to who Jesus is and what it means to walk as he walked. And so church, this is the word that is held out for us each and every day. This is the word that we have available to us. This is the word that God says, be shaped by this, be shaped by my words, be shaped in life, in joy, in peace, in grace, in mercy, in self-sacrifice. Oh, this is the word that we are called to listen to, This is the formation that God calls us to. And so, church, can we be done with settling for words that make us hollow, empty people, that that define us by an endless and vicious cycle of self-centered pursuit and disappointment and performance and frustration and fear and anxiety and conflict? Can, Can we be done with little victory and little power and little service and little joy in Jesus? Because grace has been lavished on us. This powerful, transformative word has been given to us. And so we have much reason to embrace this habit. This is what's at stake. This is what's available to us. This isn't just about going through some religious ritual to look pious or to make ourselves feel better. No, this is about life transforming formation that will bring utter renewal to you and cause you to experience joy in the depths of your soul no matter what your circumstances. Oh, the stakes are high and so this is worth it. And so with that as our foundation, let's talk about some practicals. Let's talk about some things about cultivating a habit in the word. And so I want to just nudge you in some particular ways. And also recognize that in a sermon, there, there's just sort of, you're kind of hitting the generals. You're kind of giving some direction and don't dive too deep into specifics. But here's something that we're gonna do. Uh, we're, we're gonna post both through Church Community Builder, but also on our Facebook page, some resources to, to help you go deeper into God's word and some, some steps that you can take. And then I also encourage you, hey, on that Facebook page, share with things that you have done. Share ideas in ways that you have engaged God's word, that you've experienced growth and transformation and God's grace in your life so you can encourage one another in that. So we want to be a community that learns from one another. So with that in mind, let me give you some practical steps and, and sort of attitudes and understandings that you need to have as you're cultivating this habit. First, understand habits take time. And this can be said of all the habits of grace that we're going to be covering. Habits take time. Look, Rome wasn't build, built in a day. Formation doesn't happen overnight. And so you need to resist the urge for a quick fix and instant maturity. Think crock pots, not microwave. And you, we all need to settle in our minds, in our hearts, that this is a lifetime journey. Because look, if you're anything like me, here's what you can do. The guilt of wasted time in the past you're like man I really want to grow and then you sort of look at man look at all that time I wasted in the past and you're like ah I'm terrible I'm not where I should be and so what you want to do is you want to try to make up for all that lost time you want to sort of put things on super speed and hyperdrive and see if you can make up for all that lost time and sort of fast forward yourself well I should be here at this stage of my life and so I want to try to get there look let the past be the past God's grace covers that You can move on from that and not be chained to that. You can say, okay, yes, that's who I was. That's how I was. But God's grace covers that. There's forgiveness for that. Right now, right now, I can begin to form this habit. Right now, I can begin to develop. And as we saw in Galatians, so to this practice, focus on now. Understand the journey begins today. Because look, just like developing like an appetite, for healthy food. That takes time. You have to slowly develop that. The the habit of exercising, the habit of anything requires that you say, today, I'm going to take that step. And so give yourself time. Recognize this takes time and be okay with that. Secondly, you need to prioritize formation. We have to make this a priority. This doesn't just magically happen. We don't trip and fall into this kind of formation. We need to be deliberate. And so here's another way to put this, and if I can press just a little bit harder. Don't lie to yourself that you don't have time. Do not buy that lie. Do not tell yourself that lie, that you don't have time. Look, I know we are all busy Some of you are really busy. I recognize that. But that does not give us an excuse to just bypass formation. You don't think God knows you're busy? (laughs) Do you think he has shackled you with an undoable burden? No. We would be surprised, I think, if we took stock of how much time we actually waste during a day Or how much time we give to habits and things that really aren't helpful or productive or meaningful. Like we have much more time than we realize. If we were really to analyze our schedules and really were to be ruthless and really were to bring a sense of discipline to them. Look, you're not helpless. You're not at the mercy of your schedule. You have a will. You have volition. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. You can take control of these things. And I'm not saying, hey, you need to carve out an hour every single day to have undistracted time in God's word. But I bet if you were honest with your schedule and if you exercised some control and discipline and made this a priority because we'll always give priority to things that we find important to us, if we make this a priority, we can carve out 15 minutes, 30 minutes a day to spend time in God's word. I mean, just to give, give you a little bit of a statistic to really make you feel guilty. Um, it, if you were to sit down and read the Bible cover to cover, it says the average person, it'd take them about eight or nine hours. It's, it's actually not as long as you may think. That's about the average amount of time a family spends watching TV during a week. So I'm just going to let you feel guilty about that. Stop watching TV and read your Bible. No, the point again is we have more time than we realize And if we prioritize this, if this becomes important, if formation really is as important as God's God's word lays out and as we just saw, then we will prioritize this. So let me encourage you to do that. Prioritize. Make it a point. Carve out time to be in God's word. And carve out time even here, because this is an important engagement for God's word each week. And look, if you're struggling, find a good friend to help you. It's okay to say, look, I've kind of become the victim of my schedule and I don't really know how to bring control to it and have someone help you. I know that they would love to be able to do that. Third, and this is where we get in a little bit more into some practices here. Snack and feast, rake and dig. So I got two two analogies here. In other words, we want to develop a habit that incorporates reading for breadth and studying for depth. At times, it is good to snack on God's Word, a snack is good, a snack gives you energy throughout the day. And so it is good to read God's Word a short bit at a time. Like Bible reading plans and devotional reading plans, those are wonderful, and I encourage you to adopt one of those. This is a terrific practice. And if you're looking to begin, really begin this habit, that's the best place to start you will be amazed at the effect of just spending a little bit of time in God's word each day will have on you. It's almost kind of like taking vitamins. You may not necessarily feel this effect right away, but over time, the accumulative effect will change you. And so be able, I would encourage you to to engage God's word in this way. At the same time, don't just snack. At times, you need to feast At times, you need to really grab hold of God's word in some rich and deep ways. And so the ways that we feast, we're feasting here on a Sunday morning. And so again, coming on Sundays and feasting on God's word, or maybe sometimes you just say, hey, I'm gonna take extra time. I'm gonna try to carve out a little bit more time where I'm just gonna read God's word uninterrupted for an extended period of time. And look, I know you guys, again, busy schedules. And this is where I wanna encourage spouses, husbands, wives, encourage each other by saying, hey, look, I'm going to take the kids. You go just spend time with Jesus for an hour or two hours today or the whole day. Give your, help your spouse carve out times where they can feast. Or if you have a single friend and say, hey, are there errands that I can do? Are there things that I can help? Or you can just get away and go feast on God's word. Oh, what would it look like if we created space for one another and helped one another feast? But we need this. We need, we need to feast at times. We also feast by meditating. As as Psalm 1, 2 says, that the person that lives out this blessed formation, they meditate on God's word day and night. The the Christian understanding of meditation is to fill your mind with the truth of God's word, to chew on it, to ponder it. And some of you might be familiar with this, but the literal term of meditation is chew the cud. It's like a cow. You know what cows do? They chew the grass, then they swallow it, then they regurgitate it and chew it some more, and they swallow it and regurgitate it and chew it some more, really gross. But it's a wonderful illustration of how we should meditate on God's word. Over and over, just chewing on it, pondering it, thinking about it, praying it, celebrating it, speaking it back to God, considering how does this apply, thanking God for it. But we just take time. And so what this is, is this is just slowing down. This is slowing down, focusing on one particular thing, and just hanging out there for an extended period of time. And so let us snack, but let us also feast. To use another analogy, raking and digging. And I'm hoping that Corey Warbine can back me up on this analogy here. But raking is relatively easy work. Like You can get your two-year-old to help you rake, right? (laughs) It's relatively easy, but it does have some good effect. You rake your yard, there's benefit to your yard. It, it, it helps your yard be healthy, and it also makes your yard look good. And you can rake for an awful long time. You can rake for a couple hours, and it's, it's not too difficult. And so again, reading God's word, engaging God's word, that kind of is just skimming on top. Just kind of getting the lay of the land, getting some of the basic ideas, basic understanding. This is all really good and necessary. But sometimes it's time to dig. And when you dig in your yard, that's hard. Like if you dig for like 10 minutes, you're worn out. But what can you do to a yard if you're willing to dig? Oh, you can install a beautiful retaining wall or beautiful landscaping. The payoff of digging is much greater, but the work is much more difficult. So I want to encourage you, though, rake, rake your yard, read God's word, but also take time to dig. And for some of you, this is where you probably need to go next. Like, you have spent a lot of time in Bible reading plans and devotional plans, and it's been great, and there has been good fruits. But it's time for you to start digging, going deeper, to to do the hard work. And it is hard work. Look, studying Scripture in a more in-depth way is difficult. That is Understandable. It's not because God's word is hard to understand all the way through and it's mysterious and esoteric. No, it's just because it is so rich and deep. Like, here's the beauty of God's word it's simple enough for a child to understand, but deep and rich enough to confound philosophers and theologians for centuries. And so, dig. Because here's what happens when people dig what do they find? Diamonds, gold. And that is what you're going to find if you commit to digging into God's word. (laughs) So snack and feast, rake and dig. And so if you need to dig, maybe you need to jump into a Bible study. Maybe you need to get some Bible study resources so that you can go deeper in your understanding of the word. Let me encourage you to do that. The next point, one size does not fit all. And this is just a point I want to make on the heels of what I just said. When it comes to developing this habit, we don't all have to do it in the same way. Reading through the Bible in a year isn't any more or less spiritual than camping out in one book and just going deep for a year. Before the Lord, determine what is best for you in this season and go from there. Encourage one another in whatever habit that they are committing to. We're not comparing, one, comparing to one another here. We're encouraging one another. We're joining one another. So it's not one-size-fits-all. Next point here. Watch your word intake. Again, I know this is a point that can be very easy to get on a soapbox or even flirt with a little bit of legalism, so I'm going to tread carefully here, but it is, needs to be said. We cannot be so unwise to think that a steady diet of other words and other images are going to be harmless like look there are some words there are some messages there are some <clears throat> excuse me images that you need to get out of your life. You need to cut them out of your mind and out of your hearts. Because if you keep hanging there, your time in the word is going to be it's going to be counterproductive. You'll be giving yourself to God's word and you'll be wondering why am I not being transformed? It's because you're double-minded. You're still allowing these other words to have a place in your mind and your heart. And so we need to watch our diets. Watch what is shaping us, informing us. Look, if you are trying to develop a habit of eating better and more healthy, if you're trying to develop a palate for nutritious food, you don't keep going to McDonald's. That's counterproductive. And so watch your other word intake. And finally, always remember the goal. I'm going to conclude with this. Psalm one says, delight in God's word. This isn't just saying or even just believing a rational or convictional, in a convictional way that God's word is true. It's not just mental assent, delight, joy, celebration, devotion. Church, too often, and and, and again, I include myself in this, too often, we reduce God's word to just a bunch of facts to be memorized or theological knowledge to be studied, but we neglect delights, we didn't neglect meditation. We neglect communing with God. Somewhere along the way, we, we started to believe that all that matters is how much we know. All that matters is how much Bible facts I know and how many scriptures I have memorized. That's all good and necessary. But the goal is delight. The goal is communion. The goal is joy. The goal is to follow Jesus and be shaped by him and to ha- for him to have our heart and our affections. And so, church, yes, we want to be deep in our Bible knowledge. We want to be deep theologically. We want theology in the Bible to shape everything we do. But we don't do that so we can get our Bible badges and feel good about ourselves. No, we do this so we can commune and delight and celebrate and feast on our God. And so when we talk about developing this habit of grace, First City Church, can we commit to a culture of delight as we do this. Let us delight. Let us be shaped and transformed by God's spirit and his power so that the counsel that we walk in is his truth. And the way that we stand, we stand in the way of Christ. The seat that we sit in is the the seat of the wise and the godly. This is the formation that brings life. And by by God's grace and his spirit, let's give ourselves this habit. Amen?